Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of the JMO Podcast. I'm your host, Taylor Michaels, and our guest this week, we've got Joel Nelson back on the show. It's been a couple of seasons, I would say, since... Uh, since we had Joel on, we've had him on a bunch of times. And one thing that we know about Joel is that he's a multi-species guy. Uh, he's from Southern Minnesota, uh, but you know he's an industry guy. He produces content. He works with a lot of different companies. He writes articles, and uh, you know he's been fishing a really long time. And he's a super dialed individual. And I just you know that multi-species aspect to his passion and his game is is usually what I like to tap into. And I had no idea what Joel would want to talk about bringing him on this show. Uh, you know, re- literally right before we started recording is kind of, you know, we decided summer bluegills, something that Joel's been doing a bunch of lately. And, and he's kind of always been a, a panfish guy. I, I call him a panfish guru because he really does have great experience, puts a lot of time in it, and he's got very well thought out opinions on a lot of this stuff and experience to go with it. And so this show, definitely a different not your run-of-the-mill bluegill episode. Uh, make no mistake about it. This is uh, this is a totally different deal. Joel is on to something really cool, really fun that not many people are on to yet. And it, summer, big bluegill patterns. Just like any species, if you're going to figure out what the bigger ones are doing, what the big fish are doing at the top of that size structure, the top of that size pyramid, it's not uncommon for the fish to be doing something different. And Joel is definitely on to something here with some deeper patterns where we're not exactly in the weeds anymore or even on the weed edge anymore yeah so anyways let's get to it here we've got joel nelson big summer bluegills definitely not your run-of-the-mill bluegill episode a lot of great information in this and joel it's super fun to have joel back on the show so let's do it joel nelson big summer bluegills this podcast is brought to you by northland fishing tackle Northland is a brand you can trust. Since the beginning, they've been creating innovative lure designs made of high-quality components. Most importantly, when you buy fishing tackle that says Northland on the package, you can rest assured it is designed for one thing and one thing only, and that is catching fish. To check out more of what they got, head to their website, northlandtackle.com. That link is in the description of this podcast. This episode of the JMO Podcast is brought to you by Shields. Shields is your one-stop shop retailer for all your outdoor needs with over 30 locations across the United States. Every single department is full of the best brands on inventory and a knowledgeable staff to give you great service, including the fishing department. For more information or to find a store near you, head to the link in the description of this podcast. That's shields.com. And if you don't find a location near you, rest assured all their best deals are online as well. So the only thing left to do is to go check them out. Link is in the description of this podcast. This summer, man, how's it been for you? Yeah, it's been good. Um, it's been a little different uh, this year. I, my kids are growing up, right? I got uh, my oldest is going to go off to college. So oh, man. Been trying to fish with him as much as I can. But, you know, as the kids get older, they got summer jobs. They got other hobbies and interests. So, I've been fishing a little bit more by myself, finding some bites for them. And then when they get to join me, we, we go and knock some of that stuff out. I started, I started early season kind of, um, yeah, winter, you'd still call it into spring doing some stuff on the Mississippi river, mostly walleyes and saugers. And then that gave way to some, some trolling bites I had going on the Mississippi and then now on Lake Pepin. And since then it's been a lot of panfish, right? I just, um, I'm kind of a dual purpose panfish walleye multi-species guy. And uh, yeah, I've been spending a lot of time doing panfish and really ever since the bluegill spawn 
through now. I do want to lean into your, you know, some of your panfish, you know, uh, passion and expertise and experience. And uh, I'm glad to hear that you've been doing some of that. So here we are. It's seasonal. You know, it's summertime. And um, I haven't talked about bluegills at all, like since summer hit. So I really want that. I want that from you, a summer bluegill podcast here. And no, uh, no topics are off limits because I haven't touched on anything really in a while. So for you, uh, lay it on me. Give me, you know, let's start wherever, you know, sort of your mind takes us with yeah. summer bluegills. What have been some of the hot dealings uh, for you this year? What are some of your experiences? You can start wherever you want. Yeah, yeah. No, that's good. That's a good prep. I think... Uh, if I was going to start talking about summer bluegills for me, the beginning kind of starts with history for me. You know, I grew up a, a bluegill anger prim, angler, primarily my grandpa. That's all we fished. Um, we didn't fish walleyes. We didn't fish bass. We just fished bluegills primarily in small Southern Minnesota lakes and some North central Minnesota lakes. And, you know, we ended up fishing a lot of big flats, uh, big open areas, a lot of scattered fish. Summer was when we had time to fish and that's what I remember is a lot of hunting for fish. Um, and to this day, a lot of what I do with bluegills is hunting them down because it, it's, it can be tricky. You know, I, as my parents grew older, I was always trying to get them on a great bite. You know, that was the deal. They love panfish to eat. I wanted to put them on a great panfish bite and catching bluegills in the summer wasn't always easy because it's one of these deals. A lot of times where it's like they're everywhere, but nowhere all at the same time, like you can pick up a few here and a few there. And yeah, it's just, you know, the lakes biology has really accelerated. You've got fish everywhere that are spread out. They're in weed beds. They're out sometimes suspended. Sometimes they're sometimes in their brush or, or cribs. Um, and other times they're extremely shallow, you know, like you can catch them right off a dock. So you can catch them on inside weed lines underneath lily pads and, I think that is the struggle for summer bluegill fishing. Most people know a lot of the places that they're at, but concentrating on them and catching good numbers and especially good numbers of good size. Yeah. Quality for that's sure. Not easy. And I, you know, you talk to sometimes you talk to the walleye guys and they'll run into good pods of big bluegills out deeper. And, you know, that was when I started fishing walleyes more aggressively and I'd contact these bigger schools of bluegills and it's like, okay, well, this is something different. This is a kind of a different deal. And that's where I spend more of my time now looking deeper than I ever have before. Talk to me about that a little bit. I, I actually, it's so great that you're bringing this up and talking about this. Cause I have had a couple of really interesting runnings with um, some nice bluegills this year, unintentionally right, out, right. out deep. Uh, suspended like I was looking for some different species and I was just like totally surprised um, by some big gills so let's talk about that some of those deeper patterns and just some of those things you know that have really been really interesting for you in the last couple of years man tell me a little bit about what are some of your theories what are some of your just some of your ideas on it all and um, just kind of how you're going about it uh, so you know for me it, it kind of started pulling spinner rigs or live bait rigging for walleyes, right? You're on classic walleye structure, call it a windblown deep sandbar, gravel bar, call it a hump, call it whatever offshore structure you want. A lot of times it's free of weeds, which you'd consider a more traditional bluegill structure. You know, there's no cabbage on it. A lot of times it's just, yeah, you're in 20 plus feet of water 
And all of a sudden, uh, you get this weird thing that's fighting on the end of your line and it's not a walleye, but it's like this hard digging three quarter pound, one pound bluegill, like a monster, you know, something great. And you make another pass and boom, you pick up another one and another one and another one. And pretty soon you realize like there's a great school of bullgills on classic walleye structure doing classic walleye things. And, you know, you try to piece together, why are they there? Um, why not walleyes? Why, why is a great school of gills there? And a lot of times it's the same reason that walleyes would be there. There's bait. Uh, sometimes these gills actually eat some of the smaller minnows. I've also caught gills on, um, clam like kind of clam beds and i didn't know this till i like dropped a camera in 20 feet of water and what i always thought was hard bottom sand it turns out there's loads of clams down there and there were loads of crayfish down there as well and i don't know for a fact that the bluegills were eating the crayfish but bluegills that big could pick apart a crayfish if they really wanted to that wouldn't be a problem for them so um a lot of the better fish in lakes that are classic walleye lakes, a lot of the better bluegills I end up finding can be randomly found while fishing for walleyes and catching them. Isn't always as easy as you would consider it to be. Um, I've had to drop shot for panfish before doing that. I've, I have resorted to just using walleye methods, but with slightly smaller hooks. Um, yeah, they love a jumbo leech, believe it or not. It's more about getting a hook into them rather than, I mean, they can suck that leech down. It's about getting a hook into them at the same time. So, yeah, I I am impressed more and more. You go to north central Minnesota, some classic windswept walleye waters, the the leech lakes, the winnies, the, you'll find big bluegills out there in some of those places. It's just wild. Is this you sort of the bluegill enthusiast in you that's just looking for cool new ways to learn and change things up a little bit? Or are these just happy accidents for you and then you go back and try to dissect them? Like, like where is that thought process for you as far as your curiosity into, you know, looking into different bluegill patterns as of late in your career? I, I think it's more the second in that it's a happy accident, but yeah, I'm always curious. So I, I run into this and you're like, well, okay, now why? Now I want to know the why I want to break it down. I want to figure out, can I replicate this in other places? And I've, to be honest, have had only mixed success in replicating it in other places. It, it tends to be this oddball thing I run into. I have been able to replicate it on some of those bigger bodies of water. I think simply because of the number of bluegills in some of those classic walleye waters that also have great bluegill populations. But I look towards where I fish uh, more often, which is southern Minnesota, central Minnesota, western Wisconsin, and beyond. And I tend to see some of the same things. They're just a little more uh, repeatable, a little easier to find. Um, I can see these fish on side imaging a little bit easier because they tend to school up pretty well. And then, like you mentioned with forward-facing sonar, picking them apart, understanding the school and the size structure and how active they are, what they're going to be eating, and all those different things tends to be a little bit simpler in those waters than more of the northern waters where I kind of just run into them and try and try and repeat that bite. Like what are some of your theories when you're finding these bigger fish, like you're, you're, yeah. you're we're talking bigger fish yep. in schools that are deeper, you know, deeper than the standard 
12 foot yeah. weed line type stuff. We're talking 20 plus feet of water yep. close to the bottom, big bull bluegills. Are, is it like a, are they out there purely because of like, maybe like a forage base? Like maybe when they hit a certain size, like we see with other species, they, they hit a certain age and size structure and they move from shoreline forage to basin forage or whatever it is. Like they, 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 they go after a more productive food source uh, or is it just purely, you know, water temperature oxygen level related maybe it's i mean obviously it's probably all of the above in some way shape or form but what are some of your theories along those lines yeah well i can tell you what i've seen you know i was out uh shoot i was out thursday of last week and uh filming a a piece for northland and we actually we were on a lake that had a lot of cribs and what we were noticing is that uh you know there were a lot of fish all over the cribs and these cribs range from 15 to 20 feet of water but all of the better fish came either from outside of the crib or suspended deeper away from it. So it it wasn't this deal where a lot of times we're ice fishing these areas, whether it's brush or cribs or any kind of structure, and you're trying to stay right on it or right in it. Instead, it was the better fish uh, definitely selected for deeper water. They selected for more open roaming. And if I think about it, you know, those bigger fish, when they're surrounded by smaller fish, they've got to compete, right? They've got to compete for any kind of uh, any kind of zooplankton, any kind of small aquatic invertebrate that, that they're after. Whereas if they're out on their own, they can target bigger forage because they're able, right? Their physical size allows them, but they also don't have to compete with the smaller ones. And when they can get on a, a bed of bloodworms, um, they can take that out on their own or as in the classic walleye waters, I think they're after the big hatches. I think they're after the mayfly and the caddis and stoneflies that are coming off the bottom. And again, just like, you know, they're used to, the walleyes are probably used to having it to themselves. I think in, in comparison, the bluegills can find their own little patch hunt on their own. And, you know, the bigger gills don't need as much security either. So I think they feel a little more comfortable wandering away from cover, whether it's weed or brush. And so, yeah, I think that's a couple reasons why we tend to see the bigger and better fish. They'll still be schooled quite often, but they're loners, right? They're out on their own compared to the rest of the squad. This episode of the JMO Podcast is brought to you by Shields. Shields is your one-stop shop retailer for all your outdoor needs with over 30 locations across the United States. Every single department is full of the best brands on inventory and a knowledgeable staff to give you great service, including the fishing department. For more information or to find a store near you, head to the link in the description of this podcast. That's shields.com. And if you don't find a location near you, rest assured, all their best deals are online as well. So the only thing left to do is to go check them out. Link is in the description of this podcast. This podcast is brought to you by Northland Fishing Tackle. Northland is a brand you can trust. Since the beginning, they've been creating innovative lure designs made of high-quality components. Most importantly, when you buy fishing tackle that says Northland on the package, you can rest assured it is designed for one thing and one thing only, and that is catching fish. To check out more of what they got, head to their website, northlandtackle.com. That link is in the description of this podcast. 
you know, talking about like the habitat and the lake you know that that you cover the areas you know you're talking about that a little bit like geographically like like no two lakes in in the whole wide world are the exact same right like there's differences right. everywhere so repeating the process might be you know big picture you know it's repeatable but then the fine details are sort of tailored to whatever the lake is do you see any consistencies with you know, talking about how lakes are set up. What does the habitat portion of this conversation yeah. in your mind got to look like? Yeah, well, that's interesting because like like you indicated, right, no two lakes are the same. And bluegills, crappies, panfish, they, they live in all of the above. Um, and down by me, we've even got some like seven, eight, nine foot bodies of water that are pretty shallow and consistently shallow. And you get bluegills in those too. That can be really big. And that, that that's a separate case altogether. We're not going to tackle that just yet. But when I'm talking structure and habitat and how things lay out, I look at a lot of the northern tier lakes as having the advantage of having some really great aquatic vegetation, primarily in the form of cabbage. If you've got a lake that's got good cabbage, you can pretty much count on good bluegills being somewhere near it. Um, that would be the exception to the rule for me when I'm fishing good cabbage or a lake that has good cabbage. I like to be near those weeds. I don't like to be too far away from them. Granted, a lot of these are still some of those walleye waters like I was talking about where you'll find them off of the weed bed and you'll find them off a deeper structure. But I like what cabbage does for me for a number of reasons. Um, it, it tends to form really nice pockets in the weeds. And I love finding an inside turn because hey, even big bluegills do like some security and they may feel better roaming out in the open than the smaller ones do. But in the big predator lakes, they like an inside turn and a deep weed line. So if you get a lake where with great cabbage and deep weed lines, you can get 16 to 18 feet of water on an inside turn. And it could be one of the best bluegill spots you'll find all summer. Um, you know, alternatively, as you start going south, you'll run into coontail and milfoil. And coontail is a close second for me in terms of aquatic vegetation. Um, it mats up really nicely in terms of forming good dense beds and, and creating a hard edge. But, you know, milfoil is a little different beast. If you're talking milfoil, it, it tends to mat up and just be really, just overtake a lot of things. In those kinds of lakes and with other aquatic vegetation, I'd say less desirable stuff, especially like invasive curly leaf pondweed, stuff like that. That's when I really focus on getting away from the weeds altogether. That's when things like deep brush, uh, cribs, uh, or even just harder bottom spots near soft bottom transitions I'm looking for. So I, when I get to the away from the better aquatic vegetation, that's when I start focusing on getting out even deeper and away from some of the less desirable weed species. Let's talk presentations and some of your trial and error, some of the things that you're learning. Right. You bet. So uh, it's interesting. You, you, all these things. Yeah. My brain's just firing a million miles a minute here. So I, I I'm thinking about uh, the shallows and working some of these pods of fish I see shallow and, they act differently. They're aggressive. They hit anything and everything. They tend to not be as big. It just looks like salt and pepper, like crazy on the side imaging, right? It's just pop, 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 pop. They're all over those weeds. I get deeper. I start fishing those deeper pods. Fish are bigger, but way more selective. And it's hard because even the bigger fish out deep, a lot of times you're coming through depth zones 
or let's say you cast from shallow to deep and you bring your bait from the shallows to the depths. If you're fishing live bait, a lot of times it'll never get to the bluegills that you're after. So I've been, I've been fishing a lot more plastic, even though at times live bait could help me out a little bit. I've been fishing more plastic because I've been noticing I get less bites, but the bites I get are the bites I want. So first and foremost, the live bait versus plastic, I got to kind of, I got to stay, I I have to stay adaptive though. I have to stay flexible. I always have some with these fish can be eight, nine, 10 years old. And like, that's an old big walleye, you know? Uh, (laughs) And, and, uh, but, but the bluegills are super selective. Like we know in the winter, their eyesight, I mean, they study the heck out of bait. A lot of times they'll do the same thing in the summer so you have to have the patience, number one, to present it that deep and not get too uh, aggressive with it, not get too impatient, not pull it out of the zone too fast. So sometimes deep slip bobbering can work wonders or like they were talking, like I was talking about earlier, um, you, you know, being able to drop shot can be can be effective because both methods are ways of getting it in their face and kind of keeping it there as long as you can fish it patiently enough. But I do prefer fishing vertically over those two methods when I can uh, for, for a couple of reasons. I think first and foremost, it's boat control. I, I can keep that line vertical. I can, I can stay right over the top of those fish and I can study them with both standard sonar and then forward facing sonar a little easier when I'm, when I'm vertical on them. But then you got to think, okay, well, how are you presenting a bait vertically on these fish? And one of the reasons we were out doing that Northland promo, they, they've got some stuff coming out now. It'll be, I can't talk about it too much, but it's it's tungsten based and tungsten offers a lot of advantages for that specific bite because you want to get deep. You want to fish with a tight line, especially in wind, but you can't get too big on your bait and or hook selection uh, it needs to be heavy and dense enough to get there fast and, and, and fish it on a tight line in that depth. So tungsten has a lot of advantages for that reason, because it's still small enough, but you can fish heavy enough because of the size to weight ratio. Talk to me about like your setup, like, like what, what's your baseline, like go-to setup when you're fishing vertically over some of these spots? First and foremost, I'm a big fan of stiffer, almost walleye style powers and actions, lengths, powers and actions for bluegills. Um, that is kind of born from the way I fish, um, but also where I fish, because if you're anywhere near cribs or deeper structure, you need something with a little more backbone um, to set the hook and then kind of pull them away from cover. I won't say horse them out, but just kind of guide them away from it with a little bit more force. A traditional ultralight setup doesn't do that for me. Um, it fails on a lot of accounts. It fails on bite detection. It fails on hook sets. It fails on the backbone to be able to pull fish away from any cover. And so I'm typically fishing anywhere from a six to seven foot uh, medium light power, um, just, just like a medium light walleye power. Um, but the action, I prefer something in the extra fast region or fast because yeah, again, you know, at that depth, uh, you know, I tend to fish mono or fluorocarbon, um, for panfish when I can, there are times where I'll fish braid, but for the most part at those depths fishing vertically, you're going to have a little bit of line stretch, especially with mono. Um, so you want an action, 
that's pretty wicked fast to be able to pick up that line, absorb the stretch, get to the heart, and 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 actually put that hook into that fish's mouth quicker in 20, 22, 24 feet of water. So, yeah, so that's kind of my lengths, powers, and actions on the rods. Um, I'm a St. Croix Rods fan. I think they make a lot of options for anglers, and so that's the stuff that I use. Yeah, when you're talking bluegills, they've got a couple series that are specific for panfish, and I end up doing a lot with their stuff and have in the past because I would use walleye rods. I'd use a lot of their avid walleye stuff when that was the biggest game in town. And uh, I use a seven reel. That's kind of a new reel that's up and coming that they've got coming out. Um, a thousand series, I prefer. I like the bigger arbors on the spools uh, to have the castability when you're doing that because these rods aren't just for vertical jigging in the summer. Uh, if I had to pick just one length, I would prefer it a little bit shorter. Six foot three would be perfect because you get past that for vertical jigging. It just puts the line, puts everything away from you further. I just feel I have less control and less ability to maintain that vertical stance when I've got a super long rod and I'm, and I'm using this technique. And then the business end, you know, I'm trying to fish more tungsten. Again, some of it's prototype stuff. It won't be out till next year, but I'm fishing a 16th ounce jig. Um, the trick has always been finding a 16th or even an 8th ounce jig that you can fish that is a hook that is small enough for a good gill to actually get, you know, past the barb with. So uh, there's going to be some more options up and coming for that stuff. If you've got good ice tackle that's heavier, I mean, when I grew up, that's all we fish for bluegills with. Um, I remember reading an article in my teens and 20s about ice fishing lures for bluegills like it was this big revelation, but that's all we ever used. Uh, we used tiny wax worms on tiny ice flies. And these days, if you've got some heavier tungsten, you've got options to be able to get deep on those fish a little bit better while still staying small and just amazing. They eat it in the summer just as well as they do in the winter. Yeah, it's crazy, right? I think, you know, I, I, this is very interesting to me and it's definitely like, this is it's, uh, talking about a, a topic in, in fishing, you know, bluegills are just like any species, like, you know, it, it, this is all happening on another level. There's probably a lot of people here thinking that, you know, uh, you know, fishing bluegills isn't this intense. You know, I can go to the end of my dock and catch bluegills all I want. And, sure. you know, I can clean all the, you know, six inch bluegills for a great meal. You know, that that's all good stuff. Like those are great fishing opportunities. And, and sometimes we talk about that stuff, but like, you know, this is like, this is a totally different fishing experience. Like targeting them in deep water definitely influences you know, your setup. I mean, you, oh, you just, yeah. everything you're talking about makes a ton of sense and you wouldn't fish any of this stuff nearly the exact same, you know, it, it, it just based on, you know, just depth and how you got to, you know, fight through smaller fish to get to the fish you're after. But also once you get down there, you're talking about fish that are there because they're not competing as much. Most people like myself, most of my time either targeting bluegills or just running into them or fishing them off the end of the dock, like, you know, yeah, they ferociously eat, you know, a, a, a leech or whatever below a bobber because the competition is there. There's a hundred yes. of them. And oh, yeah. so, you you know, you can't fight, you know, it's like it's it's impressive how much a four or five or a six inch bluegill will fit down their mouth. But we're talking about bluegills that 
are down there, they're not competing as much. They are studying your bait. It yes. can be painful, but you know, oh. to go through it and, and to be able to consistently break down spots and bites and, and consistently catch a big fish, like, man, like that it's the same, you know, skill set that, you know, uh, anybody that's targeting big fish of any species it's this, it's a thought process that you have to you know be considering that these fish have been around the block they know what they before they put something in their mouth they they know what they're after and you know talking about your setup all i could think about too was you know the only thing that a lot of those bigger 9 10 11 inch bluegills got to compete with when they're set up on deeper structure the only other bycatch you're going to have is another big fish probably a big bass uh, right. or a walleye you know yeah. like a 3 or a 5 pound <laughs> walleye you know and so having stuff you know that can just handle what's down there um you know it's a multi species deal uh, it's at so, times it's for so sure. funny it's so funny you say that cuz yeah we ended up uh during that filming session we hooked into a decent walleye and we're like huh interesting so i i literally i had a puppet minnow on another rod and um i thought oh maybe we'll just beat this spot up see if there isn't a pot of them around we caught four more in a row. I mean, almost back to back to back. And yeah, they were out there hunting just like the gills were. And so it was so awesome because you just never intended that kind of bite to go down. It was, it was like two in the afternoon, high sun, hot, hot weather. It was just the antithesis of any kind of walleye, anything you would ever imagine. And um, yeah, big fish are doing big fish things altogether, right? They were there. How much of this do you feel like is, um, you know, bite window oriented or time of day? Like what, what should somebody be targeting in that regard or staying away from if we talk about, you know, the type of day, the type of conditions, um, that work or don't work? That's great. That's a really good question. And there's a lot of facets to it for different species too. When I think of bluegills, I think of some lakes where the gills tend not to ever set up deep. Um, and they hang out in weeds and structure. And in those lakes, uh, if you're not fishing the earlier late bite window, you never run into gills that separate themselves enough from cover to be able to get at them. You can try and you can try and fish them down in the heavy cabbage at the bases of the stalks, but it's just really challenging during the day. I mean, the advantage to some of those out deep bites where you can find them is that they tend to be pretty productive throughout most of the day, not just early or late. But what complicates that matter, you know, for bluegills is the same thing for crappies. You know, I end up finding a lot of crappies that I'll see suspended off the edges of these weed lines a ways out, but they tend not to be looking up or active until the evening hours when yeah, a lot of those aquatic invertebrates, they rise in the water column. Um, as light falls, crappies especially have this competitive advantage where they can kind of silhouette it a little bit better. They, they just seem to be turned up. It, you'll see them on the graph, and they're almost at a 45, um, especially on forward-facing sonar where you can see them in detail. And they just they're, – they're a different fish then. They are looking. They are hunting. They are open. But they can still be scattered – and so that ends up being where a lot of the jig trolling techniques I do for crappies come into play. And so, yeah, I'd say between crappies and bluegills, early and late is still always going to be great. But the, the benefit of finding those deeper bites for the bluegills especially 
is that they can be throughout the day. And yeah, they're not always going to be hot and heavy. Um, and early and late, those fish are going to be more active and willing to chase a little bit better. But it's just nice to be able to fish them during the daytime and not feel like you're glued to a uh, yeah one or two hour session where you're really on them or you're not. And if you're not, you're just not getting bit and you feel like, oh man, I just I wasted a fish. I wasted a day. I didn't get it done because I wasn't right on them. So it's nice to be able to spend the time and picking them apart out deep for that reason. Oh, yeah. Yeah, man, this is definitely that time of year where, you know, it definitely messes with your expectations a little bit. You know, if you have a really good spring and early summer where you're just wailing on them on your home lake or, you know, whatever your whatever the species is, but you're just wailing on them. And then summer comes and it's always just like, what happened or what's going on? You know, right? and, uh, you know, it's just for whatever reason, we all we all just hoped that early summer just carries until fall but it is summer and it definitely you know for me I think that's part of it for me when I listen to you know guys like yourself and I'm learning from it and I'm you know it, it, part of it is just learning the skills or listening to you know new information but it also like you know setting your expectation is definitely a thing and this is not the time of year where it's about 100 fish days anymore right. or or even the the caliber of of bluegills that we're talking about or just you know you're looking for the top end of the size size chart you know on a lake um it's a lesser portion of the population right off the bat yep. um you know we're not talking about you know you can catch 100 gills or 200 gills in a morning if you want to but this isn't that pattern like these these aren't that fish well and, and and how many how many guys do you know or people do you know that that they would call themselves bluegill anglers or crappie anglers and the majority of their bluegill or crappie fishing happen happens just during the spawn or just through the ice i think it's really common i run yeah. into guys all the time like i'm a crappie guy i love crappies and you, you dig in a little deeper and they really only catch them up against the reeds when they're up spawning or they're bluegills and they really only catch them, uh, through, you know, through the ice in the winter or, or when they're on their big, you know, uh, tire shaped beds and everybody and their brother can see them that, you know, it's just summer's different, man. It just, it, it hits different. It's hard. It's a little harder to fish and those fish are spread out and that can be the, that therein lies the challenge, I think. Oh, absolutely. But it's a high value target. I mean, you love it. I mean, your passion for for panfish this time of year is contagious. I love it. I grew up on it. You know, we we fished crappies, uh, but we enjoyed, you know, if if the bluegills were going, um, you know, or if we if we if we got ourselves, uh, you know, sort of dialed in on 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 a summer bluegill bite like that was a total deal. Great table fare, you know, throughout the season. I mean, I love eating bluegills when you're on eaters and that can be the fun of it, too, where, you know, uh, you know, in the morning when it's just popping, um, you know, where you, you fill the live well with those nice eaters and you've, you know, you've got however many you need for that. And then, but then spending the day, because this is, it's, you know, this is one of those fishing opportunities where right now, you know, like the, the animals that are probably the most bitey, 
um, you know, right now are the bass and, you know, the bluegills and some crappy opportunities. I mean, um, you know, and, and, you know, the walleyes are tougher in a lot of lakes in the Midwest. There's there's no question about it. No doubt. And so this is one of, this is one of those time of year where the real enthusiasts, um, are definitely revealed, but also I definitely want to highlight it, you know, for, for a portion of this podcast, I hope there's a lot of people that maybe don't fish bluegills a whole bunch and maybe realize that there's levels to this and it's fun. And when you figure out these skills, um, you know, like if you can finesse big bluegills this time of year, that's a fishing skill that carries across the board. Like it anything. makes you a, a better angler all around. There's no doubt. I, I have definitely learned some great walleye type things, just getting better at my bluegill fishing and vice versa. So I, you know, I, I also wanted to throw a little wrinkle in there. There, there are some places where you can fly fish for pop with poppers, like a, a, a popper bite for bluegills, and you can still get on some big bluegills shallow. So that, that would be a weird little wrinkle that depending on the lake, especially lakes with lily pads where those fish end up, some of the better fish can be under there too. Those big poppers will select for, for better fish too. But that, that's such an oddball, such a weird wrinkle. A lot of guys will never grab a fly rod and throw it in the boat. But that, that's been one that also works for me in the past or has in the past. Yeah, man. Yeah, any of that out of the box thinking, you know, or just some of that fun, those fun things like that you just go out and try, you know, just some of the best discoveries come of that. Just just take a break, target bluegills for a little while in a way that you never have. And well, you, you know, it's, yeah, it's, you, it's, you know, you know how bluegills will double clutch, right? Like they'll hit a bait and you got to wait for the hook set till they finally, the next part of the, of their eat, they'll actually put their mouth over the point of hook. Walleyes do the same thing. A lot of times when they're finicky, they'll grab the end of that leech and swim around a little bit. And then they finally munch it all the way. And those things, those techniques, those skills, like you're talking about, it's all universal. It's just so universal. Being a multi-species angler is just so much more fun to me than just totally, you know, being in alignment with one species on one body of water, and I can't get out of that box. Uh, uh, agreed, a thousand percent. I I need that variety, or I start to get bored, and then when I get bored, I don't fish as well, and I have yep. less fun because of it. And when you think about this technique we're talking about now, in in, in the middle of summer, it's vertical. It's it's a lot like ice fishing. And, uh, Roach, Tony Roach is the best I have, I've ever seen through the ice at doing this. And he's got this weird slow lift deal that he does. It's not a rapid hook set. It's almost a slow lift and reel that he'll do that. He'll roll interchangeably between cadences into this slow lift in and out of it such that they look the same. Um, to a fish down there, it doesn't look like he's setting a hook. It's, it doesn't jump, you know, a foot. It's more of this slow lift and feel. And if he has that fish or feels that fish, two things happen. Um, if he feels it's on well enough, he'll, 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 you know, he'll reel up and, you know, he'll drive that hook home. If it's, if it's a little bit of tug of war, sometimes it actually inspires them grab that bait a little deeper mm-hmm. and it, it almost forces their hand. And every time you bluegill fish, and I won't say it every time I'll say most times things are a little different. It's rarely the exact same bite and how they do it day in day out. And it can change throughout the day as they become less aggressive or more aggressive. So I really try to focus on that slow lift. Um, and then 
like I said, I, I try to pattern what's going on down there in my mind's eye to what I'm experiencing topside, where if I'm doing a slow lift and roll that straight into a hook set and I'm either rolling the fish, it gets off, or I feel the bait pull out of its mouth, then I'm experimenting with either a slower lift or a faster lift. And I, I'm just trying to figure out the pattern of the day. And for bluegill fishing, especially with plastics, that can really, I won't say make or break your day, but it definitely can turn like a 10 fish day into like a 50 fish day. If you figure that out, otherwise, yeah, you feel a lot of bites down there. It's pretty consistent feeling yep. bites, but getting bit and catching those fish and feeling about that's two different things. And so I, I really think if you can kind of tune, uh, take the temperature of the fish and kind of fine tune the way you're setting the hook, each day or each time out there, it's going to make you way better at this technique, way better. Oh yeah. And, and this, another one of those situations where you can't have so much pride that when somebody in the boat is doing it right and, and beating <laughs> your pants off, like you, you got to ask him what's going on or at least watch because totally. so much of it, it might be in the cadence for getting bites, but yeah, talking about hook sets, that's just, it's just this is that time of year where, it that has to be a portion of every fishing conversation because not everybody's cracking them regardless of species like it, this is a d- interesting time of year where you know you know it's not uncommon for there to be a separation you know like somebody in the boat is going to you know it could be a color deal it could be a size deal it can be a cadence deal uh you know it's all of the above you got to be prepared to uh, move and groove and learn from each other and then when it's all clicking and the batting average goes up, you're spot on. And the difference between a 10 fish day and a 50 fish day is that's, that's measurable. That's just oh, one yeah. day. We're talking, it could be your season. It could be the next five years, you know, and it can, it could take you five years of, of experience, you know, depending upon how often you get out to really develop these skills. And by then you're already looking, you're, you're, you're already looking ahead to, to other skills or, you know, the technologies that come out and whatever. And, but that's that ongoing learning process, and we love it. Good conversations. Well, Joel, we've covered a lot of ground. We haven't covered 100% of everything. Like you said, there's just certain things we can't do inside of a certain amount of time. But uh, <laughs> we've been on the phone for an hour now, which is crazy. It flew by. I could I could do this for so much longer. But this is good. This is awesome. We're giving the Summer Gills a lot of love in this conversation, talking about a really cool, fun topic um, You know, that's probably a little bit different than a lot of people are thinking. Um, but it's it, it, there, there's a lot of reasons why this would be a cool fishing opportunity uh to target for so many people on so many lakes in the midwest and uh you know there's just there's just there's always been something cool year round about nice bluegills and um and and catching them is definitely a badge of honor if you can figure that part out so i appreciate your time joel let's uh let's wrap it up anything else that you want to add that we didn't cover now's the time otherwise you know just promote yourself your socials where people can find you or reach out with questions yeah, we'll crack open a new topic next time. But thanks again for having me. If uh, you want to check out more of what I'm doing or even check out some old articles, some stuff that I've either had in, in Fisherman or other publications, I try to keep my website up to date. That's joelnelsonoutdoors.com. So you can visit that at any time. And then any of my social uh, media information is at Joel Nelson Outdoors, both Facebook, Instagram, and oh, there's all kinds of new stuff, right? I'm sure. I'm yeah, on threads. man. I'm on. I'm on everything, right? <laughs> oh yeah. Oh yeah. We're always paying attention. We appreciate you, Joel, and 
That's it, man. That's all I got for you. So I can let you go for real this time. It was fun. Thanks for having me. This podcast is brought to you by Northland Fishing Tackle. Northland is a brand you can trust. Since the beginning, they've been creating innovative lure designs made of high-quality components. Most importantly, when you buy fishing tackle that says Northland on the package, you can rest assured it is designed for one thing and one thing only, and that is catching fish. To check out more of what they got, head to their website, northlandtackle.com. That link is in the description of this podcast. This episode of the JMO Podcast is brought to you by Shields. Shields is your one-stop shop retailer for all your outdoor needs. With over 30 locations across the United States, every single department is full of the best brands on inventory and a knowledgeable staff to give you great service, including the fishing department. For more information or to find a store near you, head to the link in the description of this podcast. That's shields.com. And if you don't find a location near you, rest assured all their best deals are online as well. So the only thing left to do is to go check them out. Link is in the description of this podcast.